T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. All right, we've got hour two of Sports Talk Saturday underway now here on WGR and doing what we always do and going back to the Western Hotline because John Scott of Spectrum News joins me now. He covers the bills for Spectrum. And, John, um, I was going to try to think of like some sort of Ohio State joke, um, but, you know, there's no real reason to do that at this point. Their season's over, and it could be very possible that the Bills end up with uh, with some sort of former Ohio State player. But instead, you know what I wanted to do? I kind of wanted to put my arm around you so we could collectively laugh about the Michigan Wolverines, who definitely will never have to worry about John Harb- or Jim Harbaugh ever taking another NFL interview, right? Like, you're confident that he'll never put them through that again, right? <laughs> it's funny. I was talking with one of my best friends from college who's a Michigan fan yesterday because I read the article that Harbaugh was interviewed for from the Detroit Free Press mm-hmm. and saying, yeah, I just – I felt I had the itch because I was so close to the Super Bowl. And I'm like, no, dude, this, he's, this is not over. But he did make a good point. I'm like, don't worry. It, when he gets smoked by Ohio State yep. a couple of years and goes nine and three or eight and four, like whatever, and he's like, well, then no one's going to want him anymore. And I'm like, well, I guess that's a pretty good point. So yeah. you know, I, I it may be one and done in the sense of when order is, is properly restored in the conference and in the rivalry with Ohio State thumping those dopes again, uh, <laughs> then I think that his his stock is a uh, as a potential head coaching candidate in the NFL will not be as high. It did, though, John, feel like, at least from the initial reports, on National Signing Day, le- letting your coaches basically say, eh, I'll see everybody later, I'm going to go interview for an NFL job on the most important day in our programs you know, of the year for the program, for a recruiting process that has lasted for over a calendar year. Everybody take the day off, I'm going to go take a trip down to Minneapolis, I'll hopefully never see you punks again. And then to come back, um, man, I just, it, it felt like the Harbaugh Vikings thing had real legs. And for him to get there and the reports to be after he left that really the interest was more on the on the behalf of Harbaugh and not really the Vikings at all. And then essentially the report is O'Connell's their guy. That has got to be a tough it, – it feels like – it feels like, John, from the outside looking in, Harbaugh wanted them way more than, than maybe, you know, Minnesota wanted Harbaugh. 
100%. And the greatest way to compare it is for anyone who is a fan of The Office, is Michael Scott thinking he's going to get the position at corporate, and he's telling everyone and acting it, and Dwight paints The Office black because everything everyone believes is such a certain Oh, gosh, that's a funny one. in reality, it's not certain at all. And then he comes back, I'll be back, I am back. I am back. <laughs> as, if, as if, oh, well, you know, I, I you know, I, I respectfully uh, take my name out of consideration. Well, okay, we already told you we're not going to give you the job. That's exactly how this all feels. Oh, like, gosh. oh, well, I thought that I was just going there. So he didn't care that it was on National Signing Day because he went to Minneapolis thinking he never was going to leave. And then they actually, it was an actual interview not just the formality like he believed, and now he has to go back with his tail between his legs, as in, like, Lord, do you want me back as your football coach? Well, I guess. Like, what else are we going to do here? It's National Signing Day. <laughs> Everyone's already hired. Like, it's, it's so hard, boss, and in the sense of me not liking him, I'm very glad he's returning to Michigan. Yeah, I got the sense from a lot of Ohio State fans that they were they were pretty excited and jazzed up about him going back, and I – Listen, I mean, he had a great year this year, and I think he was smart to say, okay, I'm probably not getting this team back here. Um, this is my time to potentially, you know, I, my, my stock may never be higher. And listen, I mean, I would probably say the same about a lot of the movement around the NFL right now. Um, you know, listen, I, I, the, the word out of Miami is that Mike McDaniels um, is, you know, simply moments away. But I listen, I just saw this tweet from, a, of course, a, just a delusional Dolphins fan saying like, oh, well, Eric Spolstra was 38 when he took over in the heat for, for the heat. And, you know, that's the same age as Mike McDaniels. This is this is the future. Mike McDaniels, Mike McDaniels has no play calling experience um, and is you know going to be one of the youngest head coaches in the NFL, if not right now, the youngest. Like, what do you what do you make of this of this hiring process for the Dolphins? Who it feels like all of their top candidates they kind of waited out on, and then they all took other gigs, and now they're gonna have to go with the young guy who, by the way, does not have D Wade in his prime with Chris Bosh and, and LeBron James hanging out on the roster anywhere there in Miami. Like, if Miami goes with the untested offensive guy, sort of feels like they're doing the Adam Gase thing again. I actually really like him. I I, I like him. You know, the McVeigh three of sorts, they all were in Washington together, and he has ties to Shanahan, obviously. I, yep. I like him, um, and I think he just he interests me. Maybe part of it's like he has a great personality in the press conferences. Mm-hmm. He, just, he just seems like a breath of fresh air in regards to that. But I, I actually like him. I, I think yeah, even comparing him to, to Brian Dable, I, I liked him for Miami – the entire time. So so I think it ultimately is going to work out for them in regards to just the hiring cycle overall. Um, I think it's about time Eric Bieniemy got some some love and some run. It was it was mind blowing to me to to the fact of what is it? Like it, it it can't be as simple as well he doesn't interview well because people would have made that clear over the past few years mm-hmm. that's not why he was getting these jobs. I understand some people are a little wary of the fact that he's not calling the plays in Kansas City and it's Andy Reid, and so how much is he really doing? It's Andy. You know, it's something similar to some people are, you know, when things are going well, people may always call it Sean McDermott's defense. When things aren't going well, they call it Leslie Frazier's defense and things like that. Um, 
But, and I don't always think that that's particularly fair one way or the other. So I, I understand that. But Eric Bieniemy not getting – it taking almost a month of, of interviews for him to even start getting a sniff I, I think is ridiculous. And, and maybe that's – you know, people will probably say in part that that's going to the bigger issue of what Brian Flores is, is talking about of, of minorities for whatever reason not getting the opportunities. There have been some curious hires, but uh, it's more so of the – the people you'd think would be getting a lot of run because they have in the past um, not getting it as much. That's kind of what stood out to me. We got John Scott at John Scott TV. That's J-O-N on Twitter. He's the Buffalo Bills beat reporter for Spectrum News Buffalo. And John joins me here on the Western Hotline. And and, and I do want to transition here um, into some Bills, partic- particularly, John, the Ken Dorsey and, and Joe Brady hires. But uh, before I kind of get my way into there, I wanted to kind of ask you about the Super Bowl that, that should be. That, that should be. It is. It's coming up next week. If I've been sort of dreading the idea of really watching it, uh, mostly because I'm I'm absolutely petrified of the idea that Joe Burrow and the Bengals win a Super Bowl before the Bills. Um, it just would feel it would feel extra worse for me after the last 13 seconds of that Chiefs game. But you know, when you look at this Super Bowl matchup, you you, you see a matchup between a uh, head coach and his former assistant, and two young offensive-minded head coaches, and seeing. Um, Sean McVay getting back to the Super Bowl when there was a lot of there was a lot of chatter he may never get back to that spot um, after he and Jared Goff got there and lost to the Patriots. What are you expecting from this game? Like, are, are you expecting a high scoring game? Like when you throw up, you know, BetMGM or or you know Caesar's Sportsbook, and when you're going to throw a couple prop bets together and maybe bet on the line or the money line in this game. Do you expect it to be a high-scoring affair? Do you expect it that both coaches who, by the way, run the ball when they shouldn't more than any two teams in the NFL with Joe Mixon and uh, and Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle and, and, and now Cam Akers over there in L.A., like, what are you expecting from this game? And, and do you expect Sean McVay to, to walk away with his first Super Bowl victory? It's interesting, to be perfectly honest. I, like, haven't thought about the game a hmm. whole lot. Uh, I, I feel like... I feel the same way, by the way. Just, just in general, when you have the two weeks, certainly if the Bills are in it or, or something like that, you, people can never get enough. But even, frankly, covering it, like two weeks is a lot of time to talk about one game. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. So I think maybe I've even just been guarding myself and taking myself away from thinking about the Super Bowl because now I don't need to do that for two weeks, especially right. when it's two teams that I don't particularly care about. But on the surface, I mean, from watching the playoffs and the championship games and things like that, I, I would lean towards the Rams. I'm a, I am like Stafford. I'm a big Stafford guy. I think that some of the takes that just, just are negative on him, I just don't understand it. Like, I love Bruce Nolan talking about how wins are not a quarterback stab. He could not be more right. <laughs> and I think that people hammering Stafford for – Detroit not being good is just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I agree. Just think I've never liked that. And so I, I love that that he is in this spot. And you know what? I just it, When you look at the Super Bowl, when the team that you either like or you cover is not in it, you tend to look at it, or at least I do, in regards to comparing who's in the game, how the game goes, to, let's just say, the Bills. And when Brady – and the Bucks win, you're looking at, okay, how did they stop Patrick Mahomes? Well, it was the pass rush. And then what did the Bills do? They draft two defensive ends mm-hmm. to try to upgrade their pass rush the following year. So from a Bills fan perspective, I would tell people 
look at this game and not say apples to apples, but say, all right, what do these teams do and how do these teams, how does L.A. affect Joe Burrow with the Bills playing Burrow and the Bengals next year? And, again, when people watch the Chiefs game, what did, the, what did Cincinnati do in the second half of the AFC Championship game to stifle Mahomes, and how can that be turned into what, what the Bills could potentially do there? So I, I lean towards L.A. Uh, I think it's, it's fascinating, maybe just across the league, them getting and, and potentially winning the Super Bowl. How does that affect people maybe going more all-in? and not looking big picture and saying, we don't need a first-round pick for five years. Let's go trade them all and get Jalen Ramsey and Von Miller and Matthew Stafford, and let's just go get it. Let's just go get it and see what we can do. And if it's a two-, three-year window, who cares? Like, I think Bill's fans would take it. Like, if it's like, hey, we'll be in, in cap purgatory for three years, but we could, if you give us two to three years of – a run at the, at the ring, I, I think you take that. So, so that's what I think is fascinating. Two teams that are doing it differently. Um, I just hope it's a good game because last year's stunk. Yeah, last year's did stink. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're, you're spot on. I, that's kind of what, how lame does it? It's, it's, I sound like my girlfriend, you know, like she's like, oh, I just hope nobody gets hurt, you know, and that's kind of like, <laughs> that's how I feel about this game. It's just like, hey, you know, I just hope that it ends up being a good game. I hope that we get some good dips and I can eat some delicious food and watch a football game without being angry one way or another. So, um, John Scott here on the Western Hotline. I, I agree. It is it is a weird kind of – it's a weird matchup for me. But how about this? You know what would have been even more insane is had the San Francisco 49ers found a way to win, that the Bengals and 49ers would have matched up in every single Bengals Super Bowl appearance ever. 49ers the first two times, and that they were a couple of. I, listen, I think the 49ers blew that NFC Championship game. By the way, the same way I thought I thought the Chiefs blew it, I thought the 49ers should have won that football game. I agree with you. Yeah, and listen, going conservative, getting away from what you do, maybe taking your foot off the gas to be again. Coaches will never learn, John. Play. They'll never they, learn. They, they've done that. I mean, that they, they, you know, the Bills have done that in key yep. moments as well. Yep. Um, and, and it. So, again, it happens to everyone, and it happens to the best coaches. Like, Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. Andy Reid's a great coach. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Yep. They all have moments that are not their finest at peak time. So, it, and even great players. Mahomes didn't they, – they, Cincinnati changed things up. Mahomes wasn't great. Like, he, he, he wasn't great. And so it shows that, that it's possible. Great players, great coaches, great football people – don't always have to be and aren't always going to be great at all times. I, I agree there. And you, you mentioned it, and it's interesting. I, I know Jeremy's mentioned it too. Of the philosophy, Sean McVay wants to run the ball. Zach Taylor wants to run the ball. They have good running backs. They also have great quarterbacks and are loaded with pass-catching weapons. Yep. And it's just an interesting dynamic there that I don't think it's wrong necessarily that they run the ball, but how do you utilize the talents of, of great players on an offense I think it's an interesting thing and how that plays out in the the big game on Sunday I I think is going to be fascinating because it's like like what you've seen sometimes with Brian Dable and the Bills and whatnot and what people may fear moving forward uh with Ken Dorsey after some of Sean McDermott's comments is like when is the right time to run and when Mm. is the right time to say this is not working because there were times they have the championship game, like stop units to Joe Mixon. 
and then Joe Mixon rips off 35 yards. Yep. And it's just it's such a fascinating aspect of these two teams in that game because they have good running backs. I mean, they're they're very good players, but they have great quarterbacks and great wide receivers, and uh, it's it's what what's a fun, interesting dynamic offensively for this this upcoming Super Bowl. You know, I, I love your point about, like, the best coaches, Hall of Fame coaches. Like, they don't always – they're not always on the right end of decision-making. Like, famously, like, I remember the Wes Welker go-for-it-on-fourth-down play against the uh, Indianapolis Colts on their own, like, 28-yard line. And they have losing that football game because of that. And that was, like – that was the changing of the guard for Indianapolis finally beating Brady and get you know like like there are great coaches that in crunch time make bad decisions you can't bat 100 and i think that's part of one of the things that i'm i maybe I'm thinking most about, listen, I, I know that a lot of people were upset about the last 13 seconds of that football game, a defensive-minded head coach and a, a the number one defense in football doing what they did in the last 13 seconds, giving up those two plays and ultimately the game-tying field goal and then just getting absolutely you know scorched on that overtime drive. Like, I get why people are upset, but I also think it's an overstatement. Like you are way going over the line when you say like, you know, they need to try to find somebody else. Um, Sean McDermott's not the guy to get them over the hump. Like, you know how many, Andy Reid went to four straight and lost four straight NFC championship games, got fired by Philadelphia. And don't you think Philadelphia regrets firing Andy Reid? Like, I'm sure that they think about that all the time. Now I know they won a Super Bowl with Peterson, but let's not mistake it. Like Andy Reid's one of the best offensive minds ever. And if you're if you're anybody in Philadelphia, you would you would do anything to get to Andy Reid to finish off his career in Philadelphia. So I just I guess I want to be careful, like giving credence to people that are thinking because of Sean McDermott's letdown, which, listen, he wears it. He wants you to know that it's on him. So I've got to put it on him like I'm not going to put it on, you know, the off or the the special teams coordinator or communication between the defensive coordinator and the, and the guys out in the field. Like Sean McDermott has told us all he wants to take the responsibility. So we got to give him that responsibility. But yeah, I don't know, man. Like I think Sean McDermott will continue to be the guy for this job. And I, I think anyone that's thinking otherwise is a little crazy. They're not crazy. They're morons. <laughs> and I've said it multiple times. Anyone who thinks that Sean McDermott, should be fired because of what happened, or even Leslie Frazier, you're an idiot. And I don't mind going and being that frank and harsh. And I've said it on Twitter. I've said it on our podcast. I will continue to say it because it's just it's complete idiocy to, to even get to that point. Rightfully so, everyone should be very mad and questioning him. And it was a defining moment in his career that no matter how many Super Bowls potentially he wins, will always be remembered. He will always remember that. People will always remember it, and it will always be bad. Regardless of what comes down the line, successful or failures, that will always be at the forefront for him and in him moving forward. Like It's just the reality. I don't have a problem with people not over it at this point. I've moved forward. I think that it's, time has passed a couple weeks. It's going to keep getting regurgitated all yep. next season. And once we get back into camp and all of that. So it's like, all right, just give yourself a reprieve now. But do it do it in your own time. I'm perfectly fine with that. But <laughs> to get to that point, I'm just like, come on, man. Like, you, you, you just, you just got to do it. It just makes no sense. Don't be blinded in the short term 
by what has happened long-term. This team didn't make the playoffs for 17 straight years. His best coaching, I think, is in 17, when he took a team that, frankly, had no business making the playoffs and got them there, even if they backed in. And 18 was a year that expectations were low. You knew what they were doing with the cap. Mm -hmm. You had Josh Allen, who was even hurt for half the season. So the 19, all right, they're expected, I guess, to make the playoffs, but that was it. So they, they met or exceeded expectations in 19. They more than exceeded expectations in 17. Frankly, winning six games in 18, I thought, was on par, if not better than what I expected. 20, they make a run to the AFC Championship game that was not expected. So he exceeded expectations. You met or exceeded expectations in the first four seasons of being this team's head coach. And I would argue, all right, they did. They, they, they didn't meet expectations this year because they, lo- they lost in the divisional round. And they just didn't look as good until the last month of the season as they should have. They were inconsistent. And so, like, that's fine. So, you, so, in my opinion, you can criticize them for underachieving one out of five seasons and a terrible, terrible coaching mishap in the final moments of that game. Beyond that, I don't really know what you're latching on to. You, you could pick things and nitpick and say, well, why was this guy playing – why wasn't Gabriel Davis playing more? What's up with the offensive line shuffling? Like, fine. But again, every coach has those things. So I just, people need to relax. And if you want to think that, then just, I'm not, I can't engage with you anymore because it's stupid. You can't talk to stupid. That is true. I, I try. It doesn't really work out for, I just get more angry than anything when I try to, when I, when I, when I try to, you know, reason with, with dumb. So I guess I won't any longer. John, thanks, my friend. As always, appreciate your insight. Um, enjoy the weekend and enjoy maybe some Pebble Beach Day. I know uh, Josh has probably got to put up a pretty high, uh, a pretty low number with Keith Mitchell. I think I saw something like he's probably going to have to put together an eight under, nine under type of round to get to Sunday at Pebble. Uh, but he'll be playing Pebble Beach today, and I'll be watching uh, when I get out of here. So enjoy that and enjoy the uh, the Pro Bowl if you're into that kind of stuff and the Super Bowl next week. And we'll uh, we'll chat again soon, man. Can't you love Josh Allen even more because he said, "Oh my God, you're yes, Pro Bowl, you're dumb. Yes. I'm going to go play Pebble Beach." Absolutely. My buddy, who's a Dolphins fan, who doesn't like Allen, I'm like, dude, you got to respect him. He said, "Pebble over the Pro Bowl all day, all day, every day." And like, yeah, it would have been cool to watch Josh uh, rip it up, and especially like watching Mac Jones in the skills competition was. I mean, come on, that's funny. Like that, like that's they didn't even mean for it to be funny, and that was funny. Um, so yeah, like I, I love like obviously you and I are big golf guys, so we extra love it. Um, and it's just fun to. Get, there, there's a good connection. There's a good reason for me to throw on the AT and T, uh, you know, pro am. So hey, good for them for for getting like basically all of Western New York to skip over the Pro Bowl to watch them. That's probably smart. Absolutely, you're it's, you're you're in better hands at Pebble than you are the Pro Bowl. Yeah, every day of the week, man. <laughs> Like every day of the week, every day, man. All right, bro, I appreciate you, man. All right, see you. John Scott there on the Western Highline. I'm going to take a time out. DJ Enemy, the New York Daily News, joins us next, talks a little Jets. That's coming up here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. 
Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. When we see him run the way that he does, you know, he's not breaking big runs because everyone fell and he's fast. He's creating these runs, right? He's cutting back, setting up blocks. He's a runner. And then we see the throws that he makes, and then we see just physically where he is, you know, being probably close to 250, 245, whatever he is, and 6'5", and so, and then with the arms. So I, I do believe like, that we've never seen an athlete like this at this position. People who want to say that, well, Cam Newton, no. Cam Newton never at any point threw it and had this type of control on the ball. Cam Newton was not as good a runner, in my opinion, and was never as fast as Josh is right now in top-end speed. So I really do think that he's the best athlete to ever play the position. That's uh, Jordan Palmer, and uh, I, I think I will I will identify Jordan Palmer as former Bills preseason great Jordan Palmer, uh, who is actually has like a really bad. Uh, no, that never mind. That's that's Chris Sims that had the real or Matt Sims that had the really embarrassing like backwards throw during preseason. So sorry for putting that evil on you, Jordan Palmer. Right, let's go to the Western Hotline now because DJ Enemy is going to join me to talk some Jets football. And uh, first and foremost, DJ, uh, pleasure to have you on again, my friend. And uh, hopefully the cold weather didn't bury you like it buried us the last three weeks. You guys get one storm. We've gotten like four. Uh, but I know like New York, you guys are are kind of pretty boys about that. And like a couple inches really like stops everything. So hopefully like you're good. <laughs> I mean, I'm from Miami. So yeah, I know. Like That's what I'm saying. Like, snow so is not good for you, bro. <laughs> no, at all, brother. At all. Like, <laughs> uh, I just got off a mobile um, yesterday, and it was like 60 over there, and I came back here. It's 20, so I'm suffering. Yeah, you know, I'm actually headed down to Miami uh, on Tuesday to go visit our boy Marcel Louis Jacques down in Miami for some good eats. I'm going to get some golf in with Marcel. So uh, I'm looking forward to that because it's been like sub-20s. And again, we got two storms that dumped 14 inches of snow and then 35 straight hours of snow yesterday dumped another like 10 inches. So I am full-on done uh, here. I am going down south. I'm I'm I am bracing for some Dolphins fans hate, uh, but like that is going to be way better than any snow here. So. You'll get some Dolphins hate, but you, you'll find more people to agree with you. Because a lot of things that you say about the Dolphins are just I mean, like, damn true. Like, uh... Well, not all damn true, but, you know, there's a lot more merit than some would like to admit. Yeah, that's a fact, and I appreciate that from you, my friend. So let's – um. Let's dive into, the, into some senior bowl action. I know you had the opportunity, like you said, to be in Mobile, check out practices all week. Um, some bad weather there, but maybe good for especially evaluating some quarterbacks. But what would you say the advantage is for this Jets coaching staff, getting to be on the field, running these drills, running guys through specific drills, getting to really see the, the meat and the bones of this draft class? And how important of a draft is this, considering the draft capital the Jets have going into this season? Yeah, when it comes to coaching senior bowl for the Jets, the one thing that I got from all the coaches and, you know, exactly things that I nature that I've spoken to is the meetings, being able to see how these guys want to take coaching, how they um, act in, you know, the, in the film room meetings, team meetings, things of that nature. Um, and what they learn in film room for, like, let's say a Monday, how they apply it the very next day. So mm. basically the mental, aspect. Robert Sala told us, I think it was the first day out there. The film is the film tape is the tape. So, you learn a lot more no's than you gain yeses based on mm. how guys take coaching, how they act in meeting rooms. Um, Ron Milton even said we evaluate even how they treat the housekeepers, things of that nature. So you really find who fits your program mm. 
versus, you know, the, the talent. I mean, if you're at the senior bowl, you got the talent for the most part. It's more about, okay, how will you fit into our program? And um, how important this draft is, is it's extremely important. I mean, you know, they have four picks in the top 50, um, you know, two in the top 10, I think two in that top half of the second round. So they have a lot of holes, but they got the draft capital to be able to fill a good amount of these holes. Yeah, I see you talking up um, our man uh, Traylon Burks from Arkansas and have been for the last couple of days. Like, in your mind, is this draft important for, A, um, finding another cornerstone offensive lineman to add with Elijah Vera Tucker and and Makai Becton, and then also finding that true number one weapon for Zach Wilson? Or would you maybe say, as as much as those are important, maybe the the Jets will look to, to, to... to add some veterans on that offensive line with, with Vera Tucker and Beckton being so young, maybe not add, adding like a third cornerstone being at that being so young makes sense. And maybe they address that in free agency and maybe they really start to address the edge and defensive line. Like how do you, how do you balance all of the holes still left on this roster with all of the available assets? The jets will be able to deploy this off season and filling them. I believe that it's going to come down to what is the, more important needs, not even like the greater need, because just talking to some guys on staff, like safety is a big need, but they feel like you can find that day two of the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but second round, third round, even fourth round, you can find a starter and you can add someone through free agency. Offensive line with the Makai Becton situation with his injury, and now you know Robert Sala said that George Fant and Becton are going to battle for that left tackle spot. That does leave the, the the thought, okay, do we go off at the tackle mm. early as an insurance policy? Um, me, personally, I would try to get Zach Wilson another weapon. I think that that's the most important key to his development. Yes, he needs protection, but the offensive line was solid last year. It wasn't like it was bottom tier. It wasn't right. like the Miami Dolphins or the, um, or the Panthers. Um, it was, you know, middle of the pack. And I know that what a number one receiver can do for a young quarterback, I, I think the the upside is a lot more greater versus getting like offensive line because if we all we all know that if the Bengals went and got say um Panay Sewell, the offensive line would have been better, but it wouldn't be in the Super Bowl right now. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think I think everybody could can admit that. Um and again going back to you know, your guy, Josh Allen, mm-hmm. who showed flashes, showed talent the first two years, but again took that next step once he got Right, Stephon Diggs. So I think, um, you know, adding a weapon, a big-time receiver, I think that's right at the top of possibly adding an offensive line. I think those two are like one, probably 1A, one 1B. One I know there's some people on staff that still that want to add to the defensive side of the ball um, early, but I think developing Zach and adding more pieces for Zach will always be at the front court of everything. So when you look at this group, that wide receiver right now, do you think they're going to prioritize trying to bring Braxton Berrios back? I know he's not like maybe the household name at wide receiver in terms of UFAs, but I know he's going to get uh, garner a lot of interest across the league because of his kick return ability. And frankly, he flashed at times last year when he got an opportunity to to play in the offense with Elijah Moore out. Like, would you 
I guess, maybe look at this group of wide receivers as it stands right now is like Corey Davis is your kind of your ex, your outside receiver number two, and Elijah Moore being your slot guy moving forward? Or is Moore going to be an outside guy and maybe you're going to move on from Corey Davis in the future? Or, or do you kind of view whoever they're going to get needs to be their outside number one guy to fit in with those two in terms of wide receivers? And listen, this also means tight end because, frankly, the Jets have been – just waiting around for someone to step up at the tight end position. And I could have told you, you know, Tyler Croft wasn't going to be, you know, your, your, your future at tight end. So, like, how do you balance the need to find that number one wide receiver with the guys you currently have and where they stack up and Barrios, obviously, but also where do they do about the tight end position going to these year? Because I think that's a huge need for them. So, tight end, they're going to address that, whether through free agency or the draft. That, no question about that. Um, I know they like McBride. I know they like uh, Rucker, and I know they like uh, Likely out of Coastal Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know they're going to address that. Um, but I know that you know they want to also tap in into free agency, try to get someone there too. Um, so the receiver spot. Um, so Elijah can play all three spots. They, they value guys that can play all three spots, which is why you know I've talked a lot about Drake London too because he, his film, mm-hmm. he's playing yep. X, he's playing. Playing slot, so they really value that. Burks does the same thing too. Um, he, he's played um, all th- all three spots. Um, I think one guy that I talked to, they mentioned the possibility of you get a number one guy, um, whoever it is, and then you let Corey and Elijah battle for that number two spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that would be the best case scenario. If you can get a guy that can be better than the Corey Davis and Elijah more immediately. And then you have Corey Davis and Elijah battle for that number two spot. That means your number three is going to be pretty good. Um, right. I know that you, you mentioned like possibly moving on. I know that the Jets have a potential out in 2023. Um, he only had, it's only a uh, 600,000 day cap hit. So you know how the NFL goes as a business. If Corey doesn't perform next year, that probably be his last year at the Jets. So that's basically an insurance policy anyway. If he performs well, cool. He probably asks for you know restructure, restructuring this deal. Yada yada yada, more guarantees. They'll figure that out. But overall, though, that's still a good situation because that means he produced, and that means you have more weapons for Zach going to Braxton. Um, it's going to really come down to what his market is. I think yeah. five, six million dollars. You know, I can see the Jets bringing them back, but I think if it gets to like seven, eight, nine, I don't think the Jets bring them back because one thing I know they view. I mean, he's basically even if you bring him back right now, he'll be your three. If you yep. Add somebody, he's your fourth. You won't really want to pay your fourth guy. Seven, eight, nine million dollars. You know, they they paid Keenan about five last year. He was the fourth guy, and they didn't really get much much production. Cause if you're if you're the fourth receiver in the NFL, it's hard to like get a lot of production out of your fourth right. option. So, um, so then you know, those are my some of my thoughts on the receiver spot. DJ Bienemy here on the Western Hotline. He's a Jets beat reporter for the New York Daily News Sports. And uh, we're talking on Western Hotline here about the Jets' offseason plans, some of the wide receiver moves. The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, DJ, is listen, man, like this week in the NFL has been kind of a whirlwind. And like, I, I want to start with you about this Daniel Snyder nonsense because, like, to be honest with you, like, I was reading a report about how, and maybe it was through um, Pro Football Talk, right? And talking about how essentially, 
right now, the league is not prepared to release any of its findings on the Daniel Snyder Washington football team, now Washington Commanders, you know, investigation into his conduct over the last, like, 15 years of his ownership of the team. And now he's just kind of like, yeah, like, we did this interview or we did this whole thing. We're going to kind of wash our hands of it and no one's going to know what happened with the, you know, with the contents of this investigation. And, like, listen, that's obviously then you have the the Brian Flores uh, class action lawsuit. Like, it's been a bad week for the NFL, but more importantly for Roger Goodell, who seems to really can't find any wins here. And and I want to start with this Daniel Snyder thing because, to me, it is, like, maybe the peak of hypocrisy if you are going to spend, you know, have a former special counsel of the, of the government that 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 was you know that, w- that was literally looking into a special report into the government coming in to do a special report on deflated footballs that you have to release to the public but you aren't going to release a uh, an investigation into one of the owners in literally hundreds of credible um you know like sexual assault cases like i just wonder what you think the NFL is going to do with that. Like, do you really think they're just going to not release that re- report and like, and no, everyone's just going to forget about it? Because that's what it feels like the NFL is going to try to do here. Yeah, no, nah, that's what I'm thinking too. You know, one thing the NFL they love to do is protect the shield, and anybody that goes against the shield, they they um, try to get rid of them. Kind of similar to like John Gruden, where yep. you know he he had he said what he said in the emails, but once he started attacking Roger Goodell. All of a sudden, things start to leak, and now, boom, he's out of the NFL. And we've seen that with other people that go against the NFL, what is Colin Kaepernick, that when they speak out against the NFL, and not just on the field, but, you know, things that they do off the field, that's when, you know, they try to get rid of them. Um, it's, it's crazy that you have all these emails, you have this investigation, and the NFL doesn't want to release the sexual assault. Harassment. Well, they they sexual only wanted to release the ones for Gruden, right? So they released all the damning ones against Gruden, then blacklisted him. But now we're just supposed to expect that of all of those emails, only Gruden's were dirty. Exactly, exactly. And it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it goes back to what you're talking about, the hypocrisy and just the inconsistencies. It's like, be consistent, release the emails, so then the public can know what's really going on behind closed doors. Because clearly, there's things that they want to hide. Oh, there's definitely things they want to hide. See, it's just the the thing that's bothersome to me, DJ, is it's easy to blacklist a player or a coach, but when it's when it's time to hold one of the owners accountable, like obviously part of Roger Goodell's job is a to make them as much money as they possibly can, and he's been chief executive number one. He's gotten all of those things done for the NFL. He's grown the game. He's grown the popularity into new countries. You name it. But when it comes to protecting owners, he's also very good at that. And like. The thing that really bothered me was it took them, what, half hour after the class action lawsuit from Brian Flores came out to say there was no merit to anything that that Brian Flores was accusing the league of. And now all of a sudden that they took a step back and realized Brian Flores isn't filing a class action lawsuit and putting himself out there without receipts. It just to me was a dumb thing for the league to do to just completely discredit everything that Brian Flores said. Same thing with with Stephen Ross. Brian Flores is a smart man. He is not going to go to the table without receipts. Like, you don't just file a lawsuit potentially ruining your career in the NFL and, 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 and risk being blacklisted unless you have serious evidence to prove your case. And also, DJ, a lawyer isn't taking up your case unless you have legitimate evidence proving your claims. Like, that to me was some pretty short-sighted stuff from the NFL and from Stephen Ross, and I'm, I'm not surprised to see them back tracking already 
Of course, of course. You know, you you had to come with a statement saying that Roger Goodell saying that. Oh yeah, there are some things we gotta do better when it comes to, to diversity. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> you know, I mean, overall, man, you know, just this whole Brian Flores situation. Um, it just goes to show because we had nine openings, six have gone to to, to white men, and it's like, how often are we gonna keep doing this? Where it's like a cycle: coaches get fired, some black coach, black coaches get fired. We have all these openings. White men fill it. You know, like how, yeah. how, and, right. and, then, and then people complain about it. When are the owners going to want to make some changes? You know, people want to talk about the qualifications, qualifications, yep. quali- find the right guy. How, I was talking to my homeboy the other day and I mentioned how many coaches actually work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like how many, how many are like a Sean McDermott or um, Mike Tomlin or 15, Andy 20%, Reed, bro. At most. You know, like most of them are going to get fired. Yep. Most of them will not work. So why is it always, for the most part, why are they always white? You know what I mean? Like, I think um, Chris Williamson on uh, SNY mentioned that since the renewal was implemented, only 15 black coaches have been hired. Out of all the, um, out of all the openings since the renewal was implemented. And it's like, you're telling me that there's a significantly higher hit rate when it comes to white coaches versus black coaches? It's just like, yo, just give them a fair chance, yeah. you know? Step outside of your comfort zone and hire guy, a guy, guys that may not look or sound like you. Mm-hmm. Especially when, um, you know, Brian Flores had a winning record his last two years with a bottom, with bottom ten quarterback. Yep. You know how hard that is to win in the NFL with bottom ten quarterback play. Anybody that keeps up with the NFL knows that. So why isn't he getting a, 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 another chance? You know, David Cudley did a solid job with a right. higher fight. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's just. When is the NFL going to realize that there needs to be legitimate change and let's put legitimate effort into being able to find, give more black candidates and minority candidates overall? Correct. More of a. And, and the thing that always gets me, DJ, is like this sense of this, this idea that you should just hire the best candidate. That the Rooney Rule, right. I listen, the Rooney Rule in its intent was good-hearted, right? It was intended to give more opportunities to minority candidates. And frankly, I'll even, I'll buy to a certain extent that it has, right? Because we see now guys getting, and and the the idea that uh, a black or minority candidate will have the opportunity to interview and make a mark on a person that maybe they don't know or aren't connected to, and maybe that doesn't get you that job, but maybe that gets you a reference for the next interview that you do. But I'm also not buying, like, just hire the best guy for the job because you can't convince me that out of the 32 openings that there's only one minority candidate that's the best for the job. Like, I just, like, I think about coaches like Doug Peterson and some of these ones that are going to get retreaded that there's no way they're better than some of the up-and-coming young black or minority coaches. And that, to me, is such a disingenuous thing to come out and say, well, just hire the best people. Who cares about the other stuff? And and to me, that is what I think the Rooney Rule is starting to dilute. And and listen, I'm not saying I'm not suggesting I have a better solution for the NFL, but I right. think that they need to look at the Rooney Rule. And although that its intent was good, I think that needs to evolve because it's clearly not working. Right. No, I, com- I completely agree, man. I mean, again, uh, I think the Dolphins are going to hire Mike McDaniel, who technically is a minority. He's biracial. He-, he has a black father and a black grandmother. So there will be, I guess, some progress in sure. that. But we're still-, we're still looking at we had three black coaches going in to the 2021 season. 
coming out of it. We had one. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to have probably two. That's just not good enough, man. And just four minority coaches overall, that's just not good enough, you know, in my, in my opinion, because there are more people qualified to lead organizations than white men. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's always the same guys that look the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so I completely agree with you there, bro. DJ, I appreciate you, bro. Um, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Senior Bowl later on. Uh, we got Pro Bowl uh, th- this Sunday, and then obviously next week, Super Bowl. So enjoy all that, man. We'll have you on again real soon. Appreciate you. Enjoy the offseason, and, uh, and chat soon, my friend. All right, no problem. Thanks for having me, Nate. Of course, as always, man. DJ Bienemy there of the New York Daily News joining me on the Western Hotline. i got to get a couple timeouts in here, and uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk some Washington Commanders. That's all coming up next here on WGR. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.